page 200 and... All right, so good morning. It is, the first reading is... Thank you, Pete. Um, it is 1 Kings 17, chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. And then we flip over to the next page and go to chapter 18, verses 41 to 46. And then later on, we'll go to James even. Okay, so... Chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime, is it inclusive? Yep, sorry. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then we turn over to chapter 18, and it's verses 41 to 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud is as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came up upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And then we need to turn over to James chapter 5, which is on page 856 in the Red Pew Bible. And we're reading from verses 13 through to 20. The Prayer of Faith. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, 
If any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I want you to uh, think for a moment and perhaps uh, chat with the person next to you. I want to ask you, ask you to think about this question. What do you think that most ordinary Aussies think about prayer? And uh, do they think that prayer is a worthwhile thing to do? Do you, do you think people value prayer? Just have a think about that and have a chat with the person next to you or in front or behind you and uh, see what your thoughts are. What do people think about prayer, the average ordinary Aussie? Go for it. Okay, well, I might just break into your conversations there. I hope that's sort of got your juices thinking a little bit. Um, what do we actually do some praying now? Let's just come before God and uh, pray for what we're about to do as we look at his word, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for uh, the gift of prayer. We thank you that we can pray to you now and ask that you would, uh, by your word, help us to understand your plan and your purposes more. Help us to understand the value of prayer and help us to uh, be committed to praying for each other and particularly praying for uh, folk who are wandering away from uh, their trust in, in yourself. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you came up with. Uh, what, what, do what, what do you think ordinary Aussies think about the value of prayer? Do, they, do you think people think prayer is something which is really valuable? What were some of your thoughts? Anyone care to... Yes, Rex? Yeah, okay. Yep. Okay, so Rex said that overall, uh, he and Robin don't think that most people think much about prayer except when there's a problem that arises. Did other people think the same thing? Yeah, what, did you, what were your thoughts, Anna? Oh, very similar. Very similar. Um, God's a magician. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. In times of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I, I guess that's pretty, uh, that would be my view as well, that for a lot of, you know, ask the question, how much do ordinary Aussies think about prayer? I'd say, well, probably not much. But it is different when there's a time of difficulty, isn't it? And when God, as a last resort, people would come to God in prayer. I wonder if you've experienced that um, sometimes people might actually uh, share their problems with yourself and say, look, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I know you go to church. Would you mind saying a prayer for me? Has that happened? Yeah, and I think that's, uh, that's also uh, a, a, a common thing that happens and it reflects that... Uh, uh, people, you know, when the chips are down, ordinary people do value prayer. They see some sense in prayer. I, I don't normally read the Australian Medical Journal. So let me just cover myself uh, with the illustration I'm about to give. But I did the other day because there was an article on, uh, on prayer. And it turns out that medical researchers 
have concluded that prayer is actually really good for your health. And uh, they say that prayer works because it makes a person feel good. Uh, because uh, instead of having negative and uh, anxious feelings, uh, people who pray end up feeling positive and more relaxed. Now, I suspect that we'd actually agree with that, wouldn't we? Um, when we pray about a stressful thing, do we actually feel as stressed after we've prayed? I don't think so. But is that the only reason we pray? Well, in James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, if you might want to open that up actually in your Bibles and page 856 as we wrap up James this morning. Uh, in James chapter 5, verse 16, James gives us a really good reason why we should pray. Let's have a look at that. Let me read it to you. He says that, uh, uh, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now we talked about that last week. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Now, you get the idea that James is saying that, it's, that prayer is more than just a psychological crutch, don't you? That prayer is actually powerful and effective. Prayer actually changes the thing or the person who is prayed for. Now, there is a condition, though, that he um, places there, isn't there? Because whose prayer is it that is powerful and effective? It's the prayer of the righteous person, righteous man, woman, the righteous person. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And of course that raises the question, well, who is the righteous man? What does it mean to be a righteous person? Um, and we might ask of ourselves, does, does it mean me? You know, am, I, am I good enough to be a righteous person? Now, the, the bigger question there is, what does it mean to be righteous? And to be righteous simply means to be in a right relationship with God. Uh, to be a person who has been declared to be right in God's sight. And how does that happen? Well, it happens as we put our trust in Jesus, that we trust that Jesus has died for our sins. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not about being good, not about being perfect, not about being... It's about trusting in the promises of God in Jesus. And actually, effective prayer is a very clear outworking of what it means to be someone who is in a right relationship with God. Because without Christ, are we connected to God? No. Without Christ, our relationship with God is jammed, is blocked, and it's blocked by our sin. But by his death on the cross, what has Jesus done to our sin? He's dealt with sin, hasn't he? He's paid the penalty for sin so that we no longer bear that guilt of sin. What that means is that our relationship with God is now, is it clogged? No. It's clear. If we are trusting in Jesus, we've got a clear relationship with God, we can talk to God. Our prayers are not a waste of time because guess what? When we talk to God, if we are in a right relationship with him, God is listening. 
He's on the other end of the line. So our prayers are not just a psychological crutch. They are effective because God hears our prayers. God's listening. And they're not only effective, they're also powerful because, not of us, but because of the one to whom we pray. Um, think about it. What, what are the, some of the key characteristics of God that make prayer worthwhile? Well, first of all, uh, God is wise. Uh, God actually knows what's, what's best for us. Uh, secondly, God is loving. He will actually do what's best for us. Sometimes that's not what we think is best for us, but he's also not only loving, he's also wise. And the other thing is that God is powerful. Uh, God is powerful. He made the universe. Uh, he keeps the universe sustained. Uh, he has the power to change our world, to change our circumstances. He's, he's got the power to change our hearts. And so this is the reason why in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, that Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, bring your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if God is all um, wise, he's all loving, he's all powerful, and he listens to my prayer, when I bring my concerns before him, should I still then be worried about them? If I hand over my, all my anxieties to the God of the universe, there's no reason to be anxious anymore. Because guess what? He's looking after those things now. And, and that's why you know, Paul says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, we do feel peaceful. We do feel relaxed. We do feel less anxious when we pray, but not because of some wishful thinking, but because of a very, very good reason that the God of the universe is now dealing with the issue. So I guess that's what we've all experienced if we're people who are Christian people and who are people of prayer. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, James, that's what James says in verse 16. He now then backs up this claim by uh, referring to an example from the Old Testament, a, a prophet, uh, the prophet Elijah, uh, where in verse, in verse, I think it's verse 17, he says that Elijah was a man just like us. How about that? He was like you and me. He wasn't an angel, he wasn't some sort of an other supernatural being. No, he was, he was just like one of us. He had his ups, he had his downs, he had his fears, he had his... But he trusted God. He trusted God in what was a very difficult time. Now, as Christians, we sometimes have a, a very heartfelt sense of our minority status in our in our society, uh, even because we live in a very ungodly culture, don't we? Uh, when you think about the, um, the number of Christians who are in your workplace or the number of Christians in your schools, if you work for a Christian school, forget what I've just said, 
But, you know, in the workplace, uh, in, the, in our families, in our neighbour, we might be the only Christian in our family. Um, I was chatting with Andrew the other day, our son. He now works for IBM in Canberra. There's 25 um, people working in his office. As far as he knows, there's only two of them that are Christians. And I think that that's a fairly standard kind of situation, isn't it? Uh, think about your workplace or your school, how many Christians are there, and uh, it's, we're a very, very much a minority. Well, Elijah lived amongst God's chosen people. Uh, Elijah lived amongst the church of the Old Testament, which was Israel, and yet in God's church, in God, amongst God's people, as a man who loved God, he felt the same way you might feel in your workplace, alone. Israel was ruled by a king named Ahab. Now you might want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 16 whilst we look at this for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 16. Israel was ruled by King Ahab. He was an evil king. In my Bible, it's on page 252. Uh, in chapter 16, verse 30, we're told that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than anyone before him. I take it that means any king before him. Uh, down in verse 33, uh, we're told that Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any of his predecessors. Now, that's not something I'd want written on my resume or on my tombstone. Right? He was evil. Uh, specifically because in verse 31 he married a Gentile princess named Jezebel. Uh, nice piece of work she was. She was the daughter of, a, of the king of Sidon. She was Phoenician, think Lebanon of today. And uh, she grew up in, the, in this pagan uh, royal household. She would have learnt all the tricks of the trade. This was a political marriage. It was about um, you know, a treaty between these two neighbours. You know, marry off your, your royals and it's a bit harder to attack one another and so on. It was a political marriage and through her, Ahab became a worshipper of Baal. She introduced Baal worship into Israel and uh, uh, it didn't take long for Baal worship to become the religion of Israel. We're talking about the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. Uh, brothers and sisters, these were God's people. These were the descendants of Abraham. These were... The, uh, the descendants of those whom God had rescued up out of Egypt. These were the descendants of those who gathered around the base of Mount Sinai and uh, made the covenant with God. These were the, the descendants of those who'd received the, all the, the books of, book of the law and they'd received the, the, uh, the, the tabernacle and the sacrificial system and the priesthood. And These were God's chosen people. And yet during this time, even those who spoke in the name of the Lord were persecuted, even executed. Elijah spoke 
in the name of the Lord. In fact, James tells us that Elijah in this context prayed and he prayed for a drought, a drought which would sweep across Israel, which would devastate, devastate the land uh, so that there would be no harvest, there would be no food, that there would be poverty and suffering and starvation. And, and it seems that in the interaction between Elijah and God that God actually confirmed for Elijah that the thing that he prayed for would be the very thing which God would do. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, in an act which you'd have to say was just an incredible act of courage, Elijah confronted King Ahab and he said, let me tell you what I've just prayed for. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a drought that's going to destroy Israel and the drought will not stop until I pray that it will be stopped. That's courage, isn't it? Then in the next verse, God says to Elijah, look, you better get out of there quick smart and go into hiding. <laughs> right? And uh, so that's what he's prayed for. He's prayed for a drought. Friends, when Elijah prayed for this drought, he did so for a reason. You see, Baal worship is a fertility cult. Uh, Baal, the prophets of Baal taught that Baal was in control of the of the weather, of the sun and of the rain. And Baal was in control of whether or not you're going to get a harvest this year. Elijah did not pray for a drought for the sake of revenge. Israel was backslidden. And in the midst of this great evil, Elijah's goal was for there to be a wake-up call, that God's people would realise that they had wandered away from the truth so that they would turn back to God in repentance, in faith, and would be saved. Now, the drought crippled Israel, and uh, in time it got to the point where it was appropriate for Elijah to take his next step, which was to challenge the prophets of Baal to a, uh, to a contest, uh, to see... Whose God actually listens to prayer? Whose God actually exists? And uh, we know the story. Uh, prophets of Baal gathered on the top of Mount Carmel. There was two altars that were built. Sacrifices were placed there. And the challenge was to pray to your God and see if your God will actually set the sacrifice on fire. And the prophets of Baal, they went on, on and on for hours dancing, praying, calling out, chanting, slashing themselves, doing, and Elijah got in there, he prayed to God, and we know what happened. God ignited the sacrifice, even after a whole lot of water had been poured on it. And then James tells us that after three and a half years, Elijah prayed again, and he prayed this time, not for a drought, but for rain. In the 1990s, we lived through a terrible drought. Uh, we, our family was living in Inverell. It's a rural community, uh, northwest of Armidale. Our local dam was uh, almost dry. Uh, Copeton Dam went, uh, went down to 3% of its capacity. 
uh, graziers were hand feeding their cattle and just troubled by how much do you keep on hand feeding your cattle uh, before you just stop investing money in that and cut your losses. Uh, they were shooting sheep. Um, I met a stock and station agent who told me that one of the most difficult, uh, gut-wrenching jobs he ever had to do as a stock and station uh, agent, apart from selling properties of, from these uh, courageous farmers who've just given up, but one of the hardest, most gut-wrenching things he had to do was to count sheep. He was paid to count sheep as they were being shot so that the farmer could collect the pittance from the government for each sheep shot because it was better to shoot the sheep than to just see them waste away and starve to death. He said for him that was enough. He got out, moved to the city. The farmers had no money to spend. Um, businesses in town were winding down. Uh, little children had never seen rain, didn't know what an umbrella was. So at one time we, uh, we then called a, a prayer meeting uh, in the town hall. And uh, that evening the auditorium was, was just jam-packed uh, full of people who wanted to cry out to God for good drought-soaking rain. In 1 Kings 18, in verse 45, Elijah prayed for rain. And uh, he did so on top of Mount Carmel. And we're told that he's, he, was, uh, uh, he had his head, in his head between his legs. He was praying. And he kept on, as he's praying, he kept on sending out his servant to go out to the lookout and look out over the, over the water there, over the sea, and, and come back and tell me if you see any clouds that are actually forming. And, you know, if there's not, I'll keep on praying. And so after the seventh time, the servant comes back and says, look, there's, a, there's just a very small cloud that's starting to form over the water. And before long, that small cloud turned into a storm cloud and more clouds started to gather and... The skies opened, it was pouring rain. Drought-breaking rain. Friends, we sometimes think of the book of James as being sort of like a collage of, of uh, unrelated but encouraging teachings on godliness. But I want to say that's not how the book of James is at all. The book of James is actually very, very well integrated. The book of James is very thematic. It fits together nicely. And we see this in how the letter ends. If you turn back to James now, sorry about all the Bible flicking today, but if you turn back, no, I'm not actually, I think it's a good thing to do. Um, page 856. <clears throat> uh, just have a look at how the book actually finishes because uh, having spoken about the power and the effectiveness of Elijah's prayers, see what James now says in verse 19. He says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death 
and cover over a multitude of sins. What does James want us to do? I think he wants us to pray, doesn't he? He wants us to pray specifically for the wanderer. Now, Elijah so loved God and so loved God's people that he boldly confronted sin at great peril to himself. He prayed for what I would describe as a judgment of mercy. He prayed that God would humble Israel, that God would strip away their arrogance, expose the falseness of their gods in whom they trusted, and that out of the dust of their suffering would emerge new hearts, renewed faith, renewed lives. And that's why he prayed for rain when he did. Because his prayer for the drought to break happens immediately after the challenge to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. It comes immediately after when we're told that on top of Mount Carmel, the gathered people of God, the church of God, fell to the ground. They fell prostrate. The whole nation fell prostrate to the ground. And they declared in one voice, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. It's a great moment, isn't it? And so James went and prayed for rain. You see, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective because it is effective because God listens. It is powerful because God is powerful. Now, how then should this affect our prayers? Well, it seems to me that uh, we ought to be concerned for those who wander away from the truth, shouldn't we? And people can, Christians can wander away from the truth in a variety of different ways. Sometimes people are are drawn away from the truth by error. Sometimes people are drawn away by false teaching. That's one way that we can wander from the truth. Often it's the snare of other things though, isn't it? It's the, the snare of materialism or career or a relationship. A, a person may have professed a Christ at one point in their lives, but Slowly over time, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, they kind of grow up around and intertwine themselves in our lives and over time, slowly but surely, they just kind of choke the spiritual life out of us. How do we respond to that? How do we, what do we do when we see a brother or sister who is wandering away from the Lord? The easy thing, of course, is for us just to ignore the issue, uh, to just sort of think, oh, it doesn't really matter. Um, or, uh, or we can just judge them and uh, just, just write them off. Uh, or we can uh, just forget about them. You know, we used to see them in church regularly, used to see them in Bible study or youth group, but you know, now they've got other things in their lives. You know, they've gone and bought a boat. They're out Sunday mornings boating on the river or fishing or had an advancement in their career and they've just sort of moved. They've built a bigger house. They've moved a long way away from fellowship and uh, 
and we can just sort of you know, just cross them off the list. That's easy. But James wants us to do more, doesn't he? He wants us to bring them back to God. Now that may mean having a loving word uh, with, this, with a person, just to, to find out what's going on in their lives, to, to tease it out a little bit with them and to encourage them to think about their priorities and, and to encourage them uh, in the gospel. It will surely always mean praying for them, <clears throat> praying that, that God would work in their hearts and even praying, and I think this is the point of James, even praying that the false God in their life would be exposed for what it is, a false God that cannot bring satisfaction, and that the false God would be stripped away. Sometimes that's going to be really painful though, isn't it? Um, what about the people who you love who don't know God? Or the people you know who, who, who you, you think are actually drifting away from the Lord or have drifted. When I pray for those I love, I ask God to do whatever it takes. I ask God, just change their hearts, please, Lord. But do whatever it takes in the circumstances of their lives to bring them back. And that might mean losing a job. It might mean losing a relationship. It might mean losing wealth. Israel certainly lost a lot of wealth during that drought. But the goal is to bring them back. If it leads to humility, if it leads to a trust in Jesus and a return to God, then it is simply pain which is worth having. Even, and dare I say it, pain that's worth praying for. It can be a mercy judgment that God uses to bring a person back to where he wants them to be. But even better than that, friends, let's keep on praying for each other. Let's keep on praying that we don't even start to wander from the Lord. Uh, that we would be, like Paul prays for the Colossians, and you read it also in Philippians, where uh, the apostle expresses his prayers, what he has been praying for the Christians. What, we should be praying that we would always be firmly rooted in the gospel, that we would not be people who have shallow roots, we would not be people who just sort of move you know, to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but that we would be people who are firmly rooted in the gospel that we may never shift, but rather as we draw on the, the means of grace, all of the good things that God provides for us, for our nourishment, that we would be growing strong and that we would be bearing fruit bearing fruit for the Lord all, that, all the days of our lives. We should be praying for each other for that, ought we not? Because you know what? The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It works. It works because we have a relationship with God. It works because the God to whom we pray is almighty.
at that uh, prayer meeting in Inverell that night. Something I should have remembered that night when we prayed for rain because uh, you know what I didn't bother taking with me to the prayer meeting? Yeah, an umbrella. The prayer meeting finished. Uh, we walked out onto the street to get back to our cars. There was a clap of thunder and the rain poured down. I got soaking wet and I thought, oh, you have little faith. No, I didn't. I thought, Scott, you dill. Why don't you bring an umbrella? Now, I'd love to be able to say that, you know, this is a really perfect story because that was the, 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 the drought-breaking rain. It, it wasn't. Uh, that would come a little bit later in the Lord's timing. But our prayer meeting sure did uh, hit the front page of the Inverell Times that week, I can tell you that. And uh, they were a bit confused. They didn't know if it was a prayer, prayer meeting or if it was the scientists who was, pre, who was experimenting with cloud seeding. But uh, anyway, God got the glory for that. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you do hear our prayers because of Jesus. Father, we uh, pray that we would be people who have such a concern for your people that, uh, like Elijah, that we would be prepared even for the hard things to happen uh, for the sake of those we know and love who have turned away from you, who have wandered off. Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray that we would not be people who wander away from, from you, but that we would be firmly rooted in Christ. But as we uh, pray in our regular, week, regular daily prayer times, we pray that we would think about people who in we know used to used to love you used to be regular in fellowship and aren't any longer Father, we pray that we'd be people who'd be praying for their restoration caring for them loving for them and praying for them and we ask all of these things now in the name of the one who's loved us our lord and savior jesus amen